Women have been giving birth for centuries, so it's a pretty natural experience, right? Wrong. I'm Stephanie King, professional doula, childbirth educator, and the creator of the My Essential Birth Course, the online childbirth education course that's helping women everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. Today's culture would have us think that birth should be treated like an illness or an emergency, and that most of us need other people telling us what's best for our bodies because we aren't the experts. So sit tight, because if you're tuning into this podcast, you'll probably start to believe in your body, your intuition, and find yourself empowered and confident to do what it takes to have the birth of your dreams. If you like listening to me take you through these weekly topics step-by-step, then you're going to love the My Essential Birth course. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and definitely head over to myessentialbirth.com for the free downloads mentioned right here in these episodes and to join the birth course and community full of pregnant moms just like you. I have to add a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional and I cannot provide medical advice. All of the information expressed in this podcast are based off of personal, professional, and educational experiences and are my own opinion. Please work with a provider you trust for medical advice during your pregnancy and birth. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited for this week's episode. I'm going to be super transparent with you, too, about a couple of things. First of all, I don't know why, but my Apple podcast was not letting me into my reviews for the week, and I like to grab them fresh every week. So if you don't hear a reviewer of the week this week, that's why. Um, So I'm sorry, but just know, and I don't know what the deal is, too, because when you go on Apple Podcasts now and you click directly on the podcast and scroll down, it doesn't show the full review. Like I can't get it to come up on my phone or the computer. So sorry about that. But uh, the other thing I want to say is my entire family is home. I usually send them to the annex of their rooms or out of the house. And so that's a lot of kids and an adult husband (laughs) um, that you guys might hear in the background. There's probably going to be cats. I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be one of those days. So it is what it is. Now, let's jump into this episode, though. It's going to be a quickie and I hope a quickie and a goodie. Um, This is something I don't think I've talked about before on the podcast. However, It's something that I know a lot of you moms deal with and something that I think is totally worth talking about. So today, I want to tell you, if you are coming up to your guest state, if you are pregnant with twins or multiples, maybe you have amniotic fluid that is low and needs to be monitored, or you're feeling decreased movements in your baby, or you have any other kind of high-risk option or some reason that your provider has ordered a non-stress test, this episode is going to be for you really basic, really like nitty gritty down to the point, like what is going to happen during that stress test, what you can expect, all of that. That's what this episode is about. So let's dive in. First of all, what is a non-stress test? Well, this is a test that is done without putting any stress on your baby. That's why it's called a non-stress test. In other words, they're not creating contractions. They're not, um, there's no stress that's going to be put on that baby. You're literally kind of just laying there and they're doing some monitoring to check on the heart rate and to check on fetal movement. So this is the overall health of baby. How is your baby doing? In other words, this isn't something that happens while you're having contractions, although your body naturally does have a lot of... contractions throughout the day, whether or not you're feeling those Braxton Hicks. And so a monitor is going to be able to pick those things up and pick up your baby's heart rate and fetal movements around how they're handling your uterus, even really smallly (laughs) contracting. Um, Later in pregnancy is probably when you're, so this test can be done. It's usually like 
after 22 to 24 weeks or like after 32 weeks. So there's kind of that like 22 to 32 and then the after 32. And I'll explain the different like parameters for those, whether or not you're being tested earlier or later. Um, but later in your pregnancy, it's really normal for you to have a lot more of those Braxton Hicks and such. So whether or not you're feeling them, those contractions are going to be happening. And that's what they're hoping to pick up with your baby during that time. So like I said, it's going to keep track of baby's heart rate and their movement. And uh, let's talk about why it's done. So like I said, if you have some kind of high risk options, that is definitely a reason. Like I said, low, low amniotic fluid, maybe you've got um, gestational diabetes and there's some other complications that are happening. You have high blood pressure, any kind of high risk thing on top of any of those. Uh, but I would say the number one reason the majority of you that are listening uh, if you are healthy and low risk would receive this test is simply because you have passed your guest date. So this is another one of those things that I'm going to talk about kind of like benefits and risks either way, uh, because it's just based on the due date specifically. Again, this can be one of those things like if you're past age 35 and now you've hit 38 weeks, they're going to, it's just so interesting how different providers choose to utilize this test. But I, like I said, the majority of you, if you are healthy and low risk and you're listening, if this non-stress test is offered, it is likely because you have passed your 40 week guest date, which as I've talked about before, and as you should know by now, 41 weeks in one day is the average gestation for a first time mom. And that is based off of your menstrual cycle, assuming that you're on a 14 day ovulation um, and implanting within that time. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, like I said, it really depends on your provider and in hospital versus out of hospital can change that as well. Uh, an OB practicing in a hospital, this might be like a routine thing. Mom's past 40 weeks, whatever, and we'll get it on the test for an out of hospital midwife. Maybe she's not even worried about it at all. Like you're feeling baby's movement. You're doing OK. You don't have any risks. We're just going to wait for baby to come. So again, in most cases with a healthy, low risk mom, this is really preference for a provider. And I'll tell you too, I've kind of seen it go both ways as we do with many of the testings or any kind of intervention that is offered, whether it be really low intervention like this or a little higher where you're talking about something like induction or fetal monitoring during labor and things like that. The truth is with anything, there is a risk of finding things that are not there However, there's a benefit of maybe catching things you wouldn't otherwise know about. And like I've said, I've seen it go both ways. They were really worried about a mom. They get her on the non-stress test. Turns out mom and baby are fine. She gets to go home. No big deal. And then I've seen the moms who are doing fine. Mom and baby feel fine. They catch something on the non-stress test. Turns out it wasn't a thing. Mom was induced, had a really rough experience, and is pretty upset that she ever even walked through the door for that test. So this is where it comes down to knowing and trusting your body, having the knowledge beforehand, knowing what kind of birth you really desire to have, and picking a really good provider that you can trust. Now, how is it done? This is the easy part for you. Unlike your, um, what is it, the glucose test or some of these other tests that have to happen, there's really not a lot of prep work. Like maybe get a good night's rest. 
Basically, you're going to show up at the hospital or your provider's office, and they are going to take your blood pressure before you begin. You're going to be asked to sit in a reclined seat, just kind of chill in there. And then they're going to hook up the fetal monitor to check on baby's heart rate, and it'll show a little bit of movement and whatnot, too. Uh, and then if baby's not moving around very much, it could take a little bit longer. So these tests only take about 20 minutes. Think of like, same with the fetal monitoring during labor. They want a 20-minute strip. That's pretty much the same thing. Now, if your baby is sleepy or not super active or they're just chilling in there, maybe they extend it to 40 minutes. Very few times it needs to be extended to maybe like an hour or so, but should take between 20 to 40 minutes. And if baby is not very active, maybe they have you drink a little bit of juice. Um, maybe you're poking your baby for a moment. Maybe they put some music on your belly, just something to get baby active. And then they're going to take your blood pressure as well during certain intervals while you're being uh, monitored, you and your baby being monitored. So it's a pretty chill test. You're literally just relaxing for a couple of minutes, which might actually be a nice break for you how often do we really get to sit down and relax during pregnancy, right? Uh, okay, let's talk about results though. So here's what they're looking for. They're checking on baby's heart rate and movement and they're going to categorize it as two separate things, either reactive, which is considered normal and a good test or non-reactive, which is considered a failed test or not normal, like considered abnormal. So before 32 weeks, this is where I told you maybe between 22 to 24, up to 32 weeks, what they're looking for is a heart rate that has some acceleration patterns that happen at least two times for a total of 10 seconds within that 20-minute period. That is what they're looking for before 32 weeks. After 32 weeks, the majority of you that are listening are going to be taking the test like this. They're looking for two of those accelerations that hold for about for 15 seconds or more for two times, at least twice during that 20 minute period. So instead of it being the 10 seconds, they're looking for a 15 second acceleration above baseline. I should have said that for both of those, it's above baseline. So at the beginning, they're getting that baseline strip. This is baby's like normal amount of um, or heart rate. Maybe they're at 140. Maybe it's normal for your baby to be at 150 or 137 or whatever. That's your baseline. And then they're looking for those accelerations that pump up that heart rate and accelerate at that heart rate for that 10 second or 15 second interval at least two times during that 20 minute window. So like I said, if they've got those markers, that's considered reactive and a good test and mom and baby are good. Now, if you have a non-reactive test, that could happen maybe because your baby is sleeping and just not engaged. Um, you're not having those contractions, so they can't grab that marker. Overall, they didn't hit those certain markers during that time. It does not necessarily mean that everything is terrible and you need an immediate induction. However, it could mean something is there. And so oftentimes it's like, okay, we need to, it can be, okay, we need to induce right now. Let me call your provider. We're going to discuss these results. Let's get baby and you like, let's get things moving. Um, and so it might be a good idea to even like bring your birth bag with you, especially if you do have concerns this way, or you're thinking it could end up with an induction being the case. Um, 
Or you can, they can say, you know what, we need to wait and watch and maybe test again next week or in a couple of days. And that can be an option too. Um, also, and I'll talk about this at the end, but I want to make sure that you have your voice here too. So even if baby has or has not hit these markers, you can request more information, a second opinion, another test. Um, you can say, no, I'm not interested in doing X, Y, Z. Just so you know, as with anything else, you are still in the driver's seat and it's really important for you to understand that. The main concern that they're looking for is that baby is not getting enough oxygen. So that's what they're looking for. Like I said, that could mean you need more testing or you need an induction However, that looks, those are kind of the options. Uh, But depending on the results and your provider or et cetera, as I mentioned before, it doesn't always mean that immediate induction. And that is the tricky part. I think, as I said before, a lot of midwives out of hospital, that's going to look different for what they order um, and vice versa. It can just be the norm of how your provider practices. So keep that in mind. I know I'm repeating that information, but I feel like it's good for you to hear that again. And then, um, Keep in mind too, like for example, for a midwife out of hospital with a healthy low-risk mom that maybe she doesn't send for NSTs for just going past 40 weeks or, or 41 weeks, whatever the case, you know, I was one of those moms. Like I can relate to this. And, and I'll tell you, my midwife would ask, she would come over and we'd have our weekly appointments. She'd listen to my baby's heart rate. She'd take my blood pressure. I do my urinalysis and all that stuff. She asks me how I'm feeling. Are you lightheaded, dizzy, all those things, any blurred vision, checks for edema. You know, there's all of those other other things that tell us that mom and baby are doing well without necessarily doing a non-stress test. This is just one of those extra added options. So with that in mind, I think it's important to understand that sometimes it is just a difference in practicing and it's a difference in how you would like to be taken care of as to who you choose for a provider or how you choose to take the information that your provider is giving you and use that information. So that's just food for thought right there. However, I really want to encourage you, as I do with most things, have this conversation with your provider now. And if you are still pregnant, that is now. (laughs) Um, Even if they've ordered you a non-stress test, you know, you can still call and ask questions. However, if you're like first, second trimester, like have the non-stress test question now, you know, how often do you do non-stress tests? Um, if a mom just goes over their, you know, guest date, is that a reason or what are, what are your, what do you do it for? What are your concerns when a, when a non-stress test, is there ever a time where you have one that doesn't go really well and you, um, you actually wait and do more testing or how do you handle that? Those kind of questions can really, again, put you back in the driver's seat and get you good information from your provider so you know how you're going to have that um, conversation later on during your pregnancy. So as with everything, have these questions and this stuff on your mind earlier in your pregnancy. Now, if for some reason your uh, that non-stress test, you, you needed to go for the non-stress test, you failed the non t- non-stress test or baby failed it, uh, you're feeling like induction is the right option for you, you're grateful that you did the test, you're grateful for the results, you're ready to do the induction, awesome. I am going to attach uh, in the show notes of this episode, I have done an entire podcast on how to make an induction successful. Um, obviously, if you're in the birth course, there's an entire section about that too. But these are like the basic things just because you're having an induction, just because your birth plan has changed doesn't mean it's not going to be an excellent, excellent birth experience. So make sure to check out that episode um, and make sure too if you 
you're listening to this now, listen to the how to make an induction successful before you take the non-stress test. (laughs) Because if you have a non-stress test and it comes back like, oh, shoot, you need an induction right now, you're not going to have time to pop that podcast in your ear and be really coherent about how to make things successful. So keep that in mind. And then make sure that you're doing your labor prep techniques. You can start those. I mean, red raspberry leaf tea, for example, if you are not super sensitive to it, you can drink your entire pregnancy. Uh, If you notice that you're having contractions or any issues like that, or maybe you wait until your third trimester um, and start that red raspberry leaf, but you're noticing you're like sensitive to it or you're having more Braxton Hicks, then slow it down or stop it until you're, you know, 34 weeks, 36 weeks and baby is full term. However, that is something that you can do throughout your pregnancy. Those other techniques and they're in that in how to make an induction successful podcast, but other techniques like the preparatory techniques like evening primrose oil or eating dates, that kind of stuff can all be done starting at 34 weeks. Dr. Christopher's labor prep, I'll leave a link to that. But the things that are going to help induce labor those are an after 36 week thing. And that's where you're talking clary sage oil and acupressure points, intercourse with nipple stimulation and curb walking in succession, you know, castor oil, definitely like a later term thing. So keep those things in mind because um, even when we're talking induction or needing to get baby out, there's a lot that you still have power over, control over and things that you can do to prepare your body or to have an induction go really, really smoothly. Now, I want to end with telling you guys it is really important as we're talking about all this information that you trust yourself and your body. I think if you're a healthy mom and you're low risk and you're passing your guest date and that's literally the only reason that prompted this quote unquote time for a non-stress test, maybe that's something to consider and think about. Uh, What would happen if you say yes? What are the benefits of saying yes? What are the risks of saying yes? And same with no. What are those benefits, risks, alternatives, all that stuff? I think it's really important for you to consider those things and to realize um, that you're in the driver's seat. You can say, yes, I would like to do it. No, I would not like to do it. Yes, my test came back this way, but I'd like to wait, watch and wait. You get to decide all of those things. So remember that. Along with that, you also have the power to say, yes, I'm grateful for this test. Yes, I'm ready for the induction. And then I want you to do all of those awesome induction techniques that we just talked about. I also want to tell you that no matter what you choose, you get to make these decisions. And along with that, being a mom is hard. It's just part of it. I think pregnancy gives us that first kind of practice run at learning to stand up for ourselves, learning to stand up for our babies, especially with like medical things um, and and stuff like that. But that's the part where like mama bear is born. It's a real thing. And for me, it definitely started in pregnancy. And every decision that I was making wasn't just about my body. It was what is best for this baby. And I think those nine months of practice really help you get your voice. And so I hope that's really an opportunity. All this stuff that you're learning about is like, yes, okay, I have this knowledge. Um, I can trust myself. I can trust my body, my intuition. I'm made to, to do this work. Um, I think it's a really excellent time to, it, it's like an intro into how you're going to parent your child and stand up for your baby. And, and it's awesome. Uh, but I think it's important to like know how you want your birth to play out. Like I talked about before, set yourself up with a great provider, take a really good birth course and learn about all this stuff. Wink, wink. Right. Um, and then feel empowered and confident and excited about your birth. That's where I want you all to be. Uh, that was my favorite part of that third birth. I'm not even joking, you guys. And it took me three to get there. So I love you that are like, I'm not pregnant or this is my first one. 
whenever you get here, I think that's great. I'm telling you, it took me three times um, for me to feel excited and confident and empowered. But it was hugely different when I did all those prep things. And I was like on top of the world making those decisions for my baby and for myself. Um, It's really powerful. And there's nothing wrong. I'm going to say that right here. There is nothing wrong with wanting to feel empowered um, during your pregnancy and for your birth choices. I know some people get on their high horse about, you know, why do you have to um, be such a martyr or why, why do you, why not get the pain medication? Why not do it this way? Like, why do you have to fight your provider on this? They're not going to do anything that would ever be bad for you. Um, but the truth is there, or just the like, why do you need to feel empowered over this experience? I absolutely hate that so much. You know what? Because you don't understand you haven't done it yet. Um, it, I feel like a lot of times that's coming from guys. No offense, guys. Uh, but a lot of that conversation or talk about comes from guys, especially like male doctors, even sometimes. And you're like, no, like it's OK to actually really feel incredible about that. I think of it as like my example of running a marathon. And I know I'm taking this down a completely different road than where we started. But I think of it as the power behind running a marathon, the training, um, the sacrifice of like time and energy and all the things and building that resilience and building myself up to be able to do that. And crossing that finish line, yeah, that was worth it. That feeling right there just made all of that worth it. Same thing for pregnancy and birth. And I think every woman deserves to feel that. Basically, I am here to tell you I'm cheering you on. That's it for this week, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications first as I drop new episode every week. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for all of the free downloads mentioned here and to join the birth course and community serving pregnant moms just like you. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, I would love it if you would take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and include one at the beginning of each episode. See you next week.